Welcome to the Liam Kiz Audio Experience, brought to you by Equip. And this is Biz with Kiz. Hello, and I am your host, Liam Kiz, and we are back with another episode of Biz with Kiz, the YouTube podcast series where we focus on people's life stories to help others create their own. And I have got a fantastic guest on the show today, someone who I've been really looking forward to speaking to. It's Roisin Wood. Roisin, you okay? Yeah, I'm fine, Liam. How are you? I'm really, really good. Uh, Roisin, uh, for people who don't know you or aren't aware of what you do, tell them a little bit about yourself and, and what you do as a job. So, um, my name is Roisin Wood. I'm the chief exec of Kick It Out, which is football's equality and inclusion campaign. You'll have seen us around probably if you watch football at all, you'll have seen sometimes players in our t-shirts or you'll see us in the stadium or up on boards. And so we do everything to do with football from Premier League down to grassroots, players, managers, fans, around inclusion and attacking discrimination. I've, I've been a, a boyhood Everton fan all my life and I've had a, a season ticket since eight years old. You, did, you gave a little look there for Everton. Well, no, Liam, I thought there was something funny there. I'm a, I'm a Liverpool fan. I've been on my life since I'm eight years old now, so I'm going to say that now, you know, I get that. I, I always, when I'm talking to anybody, tend to say that really early so that everybody knows I'm a Liverpool <laughs> fan, have been since I was eight years old. All my family are Man United fans. Oh, wow. And I think I just decided at eight years old that I would be stubborn and become a Liverpool fan. <laughs> and have been against all my life so I am very happy in the last number of years which yeah, yeah. definitely like better for us <laughs> yeah you, you know, know I'd be surprised the amount of the, I've done quite a few interviews now and whenever I do say Everton it doesn't come up every discussion but whenever I do say Everton somebody usually comes back and says oh actually I'm Liverpool that's <laughs> <laughs> the happens. Well, yeah, I've, I've been going to, to Everton as a season ticket holder since I was eight years old and, and kick it out for as long as I can remember has always been been a part of it. Um, mm. But anyway, we'll get to the role of, of Chief Executive Kick It Out in, in, in a bit. Let's get to know you as a, as a person first. So in lockdown, you might, have had, you, you might not have, but you might have had a bit more spare time than what you've been used to. Have you had any guilty? <laughs> You're shaking your head, no chance. <laughs> no, no, no spare time. Uh, people keep ringing me and saying, are you bored with football being off? I'm like, I've never been busier because we're amidst lots of reviews. So I literally am eight to seven most days at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. So I almost, in a way, look forward to football coming back for a bit of a break. Yeah. <laughs> sort of have a bit of a break for a week, for two or three days before we get absolutely on it again. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, so during lockdown has been manically busy, to be honest, but I've tried to... It's what you, what I don't miss is the commute in and out of London. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I've tried to do a bit more of is uh, is doing a bit more of yoga and doing a bit more training. I, I work with a lot of the guys that I work with are fitness fanatics. I used to be, but have, I have a bad back and haven't trained for years. So I'm back training. Uh, I'm just off a call from a team and just saying to them, they're really pleased with me. I'm in fruit juices and training and trying to do that in amongst working to try and sort of you know it's very it's good for me personally it's it's uh gives me some time out and i i think you need that in this area and it's good to be able to do something that mentally keeps you quite sane <laughs> yeah 100 you know i um in my spare time I, I i i play a lot of football and and that hasn't been able to to be a thing for, for obvious reasons recently and i had a, an interview with a, a a pt and and he told me about meditation and how I've actually had it wrong all my life. I thought football was my meditation when actually that was the complete opposite. 
and I've started to meditate and that's been something that I've learned over lockdown and it's really made me more productive I think mm-hmm. would you say sort of uh, there's been any benefits of understanding how you work more while you've had this period yeah absolutely I, I'd agree with you totally about that um I think for me you know this job is is all consuming and it pretty much is still all consuming a wee bit so this has been my chance to actually go right to you know I schedule you're going to think oh well no I've got to stop for that hour and then I'm scheduling and training, so I know I've got to stop for that hour, and I've, or it makes me finish at half four as opposed mm-hmm. to half six. Um, and that's been really, really, really good. I mean, I, I played a lot of sport when I was younger, and I think as you get older, you tend to, I know <laughs> I look at a lot of people play a lot of sport quite at high levels when they're younger, and they're all, we're all crippled with arthritis now, so we are much, much <laughs> quite sure. So I think that yoga is really good for me because I played, I played, um, netball at quite a high level and mm. I played basketball and I was a Canadian instructor and a mountaineer and things so I, my first degree was a sports degree a sports science degree in Jordanstown in Belfast and so I was used to doing lots and lots of sport mm. and from a very young age upwards playing for, for Northern Ireland and stuff so um, it really it, it, when you go back from it you know you tend to get a bit entries and I think you not you don't really look after yourself as well as you should when you're younger it's mm. different now I think but but now it's about trying to, uh, for me, yoga is about, really a lot of my yoga is about trying to fix my back because I have pretty poor back. Mm. Um, so I find it, on the meditation side of it, I find it really good because it gives you, your mind stops racing for that time when you come back to work, which, and I'm writing a lot of strategy and a lot of policy stuff. It makes it, mm. it gives you clarity of thought. So it works mm. for me. Mm. No, I totally agree with that. Uh, you've mentioned that, you, you know, sport's been part of your life and uh, mm. especially in the, um, early years playing netball yeah, yeah, yeah. say that sport has made, impacted the way you work over time and has that came into the role as chief executive of kick out I think it, sport for me um, because I always played team sports you know well I mean I was a Canadian instructor I suppose it's not really team sport but um, I think you know when you're part of a team it's trying to work together, but work out who's got the best, what your strengths are and how you best work as a team. I mean, Northern Ireland's quite small. Um, and so for us to play at that level, you have to, there's no real stars. You have to just work collectively very well together and work out oh, who's the best player or in a particular role or who can, who can you rely to do some just basic things that maybe you know, isn't about being glamorous, you know, but mm-hmm. something just the grind of doing work. Um, and sometimes that's what it's like because being, you know, doing the job, sometimes it's just about doing quite unglamorous things and just getting things because things have to be done. Um, and I'm not really competitive apart from sport, you know, but I think it gives you a good work ethos for me. You know, it works. Yeah, I, I, I took, I did my first degree in sports science and then I took a year and then I did a master's in business. Mm. And then that helped me think about things in a different way I think more there, you know people would say to me what's your career plan and I never had one ever <laughs> like this Maggie you know did a sports science degree then did an MBA I was the only person with a sports background in my MBA class then went on to do work um without with young people outdoors and outdoor education and then went to work with volunteer with a volunteer development agency then went to work with the reintegration of political ex-prisoners as part of the peace process and then came over to London to work for the Met. So you can see there's no real links there, <laughs> really, to be honest. It's sort of, but I suppose the thing 
what links it all, even working for the Met over here in London, um, as part of their, with their volunteer um, program, is trying to work primarily with people. And I suppose that sense of fairness and wanting to work with communities and wanting to do, even with um, political ex-prisoners and their families or victims of the troubles, as, as we went through, that sense of trying to make things fair, I think is probably, is, is the thing that connects mm. what I've done in a way because i think that's because somebody asked me before what's why do you do the job you know and that's you have to sort of think about why do you do your job and that's why i think there's that sense of wanting things to be fair mm. you know because growing up in northern ireland especially as a catholic which is what i am things weren't always fair mm. you know and particularly the areas that i lived in which were we were the minority by a long shot you know quite a lot of violence against uh, us and quite a lot of just unfairness and exclusion. And so that's why I bring that into my work here now in, in what I do and kick it out. Because often I'm asked, you know, because I'm white, you know, why do you feel so strongly? Because unfairness is unfairness, whatever. Exclusion is exclusion, whatever. So mm. I feel as strongly about that as I felt when I lived in Northern Ireland working there as well. Mm. I think it's amazing that the, the things in your in your life that have sort of motivated you, like that sense of injustice and, and also the team building side, very much link into the role that, that you're doing today. You know, obviously ra- racism in itself is is a injustice in in the world at mega scale. But the only way to break that is is as a team, as a and in the community yeah, yeah. and kick it out, but in the community and in the and in the world as a team of people to break down those barriers. And, and them two things seem to be key in your story then of yeah. why you I mean, do cause, Yeah, because I think sometimes people look at football and they go, well, you, you need to sort out racism. N- no, everybody needs to sort out racism or any form of discrimination. Um, and nobody can do it. A small campaign, the guard campaign, you know, for us to, to, to tackle discrimination in football, you need us and you need the FA and the Premier League and the EFL and clubs and players and fans and grassroots organisations and other campaign organisations. Because only then working together can we change and, and, and then that, that can be, it, that, can, that can be then a leading light into society to say, look, look how diverse football is. Mm. Look how it's challenged discrimination. Look how it's promoted inclusion. Now look, why can't we do that within community? Why can't we, why can't we bring that into, into, into the outside world. And, and, and it worries me when you hear, you know, we're in the middle of, of this pandemic, it worries me when you hear this abuse against Chinese people, you mm. know, as if, you know, my God, and that, that worries me going forward. It worries me when we go back, when we go back to playing football, even behind closed doors, will people be online? Will people be online and think, well, like, I mean, nobody can see me, nobody knows who I am, I can put this abuse out online. And will we see a spike in that? I think we probably will. Mm. You know, so we have to be very vigilant, you know, because no matter how far you come, I think what is you can never sit back and say, oh, we, oh, we've done that now. Because, you know, I see it and I've seen it, you know, even post-Brexit, you know, here, but people saying things like, oh, go back. And someone said to me, go back to where you come from. I'm thinking, I'm from Northern Ireland. That's part of the UK. Like, you know, yeah. I, mean, I can go back to the, where, where do you want me to go to? Yeah. You know, so... There is that sense of, I think that we have to be looking at, you know, we're all in this together. What can we do? How, how do we, how do we challenge that? How do we challenge mm. people who think this is, you know, 
it's our space. It's, you know, there's so much diversity and the whole, one of the things I love most about moving from Northern Ireland to living in London is the diversity of London. Mm. You, you get new experiences, which I didn't particularly get. Northern, Northern Ireland, pretty much a white community, to, like obviously divided by religion, but not really that much change in now, thank goodness. But when I was growing up, it pretty much was still a white community. But now when you go, now living in London, it's fantastic. The diversity of London is one of the things that makes me love being here. Yeah. It's because you just come across different people with different cultures and different ideas that I was never that I was never around when I was growing up. So I, I, it's one of the things I love best. I think it's one of the things that makes you stronger. Hundred really percent. I think people coming from different backgrounds, and when you meet them and, and chat to them, you learn from their experiences and, and they learn from yours. So that the whole idea of racism is just absolutely bonkers to me. Uh, mm-hmm. See somebody. Low, lower than yourself on the basis of where they've come from is is beyond me. And you know, I, yeah. I was trying I was trying to gather my own thoughts b- before this interview on sort of they're almost like the, the journey of me just watching it from afar. And I, when I was young, it's prob- probably on the basis that I, that I was young and I didn't really know what was going on. But when I did go to football matches, I, I never actually witnessed race racism. Mm-hmm. And over over time, I might be completely wrong in saying this, but. I do believe that you know we've hit almost like a spike again, um, and it seems that maybe it's maybe it's not that maybe it's a case of you know, social media is more active, the news is active. There's loads of different things that could play a part in it, but for some reason, over the last five or six years, there's been more news stories of racism in football, racism in the world. Obviously, we've there's one very recent at this time of George Floyd in America. You know, what can we do as a society to really start to try and break down these barriers? with all the new things that are having an effect on racism today? Well, for me, it's, it is, it's, it's very complex, I mean, I would say it is, and, and, and uh, discrimination racism has been around for hundreds of years, and, and, mm. and, and, and it's a complex phenomenon, and it'll be linked into social deprivation as well. I think come, going into recession, we probably will do, you probably, it'd be unusual not to see more of it. Um, but for me, there's, there's different things. There's stuff around um, taking a stand, basically standing up and saying, you know, when I go to watch Liverpool play, right, I am a fanatic Liverpool fan, but like you, or shouting at everybody, I'm glad, geez, you shout out loud, because yeah. it's passion, you're passionate about it. You know, this is your football team, you're passionate about it. And that's what you want to see. And you don't, well, what we don't need to see is, we don't need to see discrimination being part of that. That's not part of the, the game that I love. It's, it's nothing to do with the game I love. I, I'm passionate about the game itself. Mm. So there's being able to turn around, self-policing by fans, turn around and say, you're going to come to Anfield. You're not welcome here. This is the sort of thing you're coming out with. That's self-placing element of people saying, you know, we stand together as Liverpool fans, or you stand together as Evertonians and say, this is our club. This is our game. This mm. is what we want. And you're not part of that because we don't want that in this. We don't want that in the stadium. We don't want this. That's not what this football club stands for. That's not what I as a fan of this football club stands for. So there's taking the stand. There's reporting it. And I understand sometimes it's difficult to report it because you're caught up in the game or you think, what's the point? Or there's four of them, there's one of me. You know, so how do we make reporting it easier so that more we can report it, the more we can let the clubs try to do something about it, mm. the more we can work with them and saying, like, you know, um, how, how, how's it stewarded? How's, it, how's the CCTV? What's the message in out there to people? How can we... And all of this stuff comes down to education. How do we educate people? understand because 
and I've had this before. People say to me, "Well, I, I didn't really mean anything by that. I, I didn't. I mean, I wasn't. I didn't mean to be like that. I didn't. I didn't know what I was saying." Mm-hmm. So the more we can edge, now sometimes that's a cop out. I'm not going to say that, but other times, <clears throat> our role trying to educate people mm-hmm. what is discriminatory, what is that sort of uh, where that that's, you don't even know you you don't really you're not really aware of what you're doing. You know that unconscious bias that we all have mm-hmm. about some things. You know how do we how do we make that more clear to people? How do we support people who've been victims? Because sometimes a lot of the the, the tensions on the perpetrator and not on the actual victim themselves to say, you've been abused, what happened? Did you get the support? Did you want it afterwards? Mm-hmm. So to me, there's lots of, one, we have to do everything collaboratively and in partnership. Yeah. Two, we yeah. have to educate people. Now, I'm a, I, I'm a uh, lay magistrate as well, and I do with young people. And... I really have no interest in criminalizing young people. My my always around young people is to educate them. I don't want to criminalize young people. Mm-hmm. And so for me, education is always going to be first. But for people that are persistent, prolific offenders, absolutely sanctions need to be in place. But for young people who are thinking, I want to educate them. Mm-hmm. To say, is this really what you think? Is this really the person you want to be? And mm-hmm. so that they can become almost peer educators. They can turn around to the next person they say and say, do you know, I used to say that, but you know, I don't anymore. And do you know the reasons why? That you can empower young people to be able to articulate that, to say, and to actually affect their elders to say, we don't say that anymore. Not in our generation. Mm. That doesn't, we, don't, we don't tolerate that. Whether mm. you're gay, whether you're from a different community, whether you're disabled, whether you're a woman. You know, mm. we, we don't tolerate that anymore because we're a strong generation. So I think it's about that communication and education and empowerment. Yeah. Yeah. As we have a responsibility as, a, as an older generation to, to teach the young people below us that this is the way that we should live life in a good way of respecting everybody, no matter where, where they're from. And, and, and young people who, who do go into, go into it and start being racist or, you know, there was a message to Ian Wright recently on, on social mm-hmm. media, which was, mm-hmm. which was horrific. There's, there's something, there's, there's quite clearly something missing somewhere along the way of their upbringing where that hasn't been implemented to them. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. You're, you're so right. Education and telling these young people and, and, and really hammer it into them that, you know, this, we're, we're all a team here. We're all people. We're all one society. There's no need for any of this. Let's move forward together. Mm-hmm. It's the mm-hmm. right thing to do. Uh, you spoke a lot about your role and um, sort of what, what you come across day to day. Let's strip it right back now and, and, and try and put the footsteps in of, of how you got to the role where you are today. You've already spoke briefly about being university and how nothing really links other than sort of like the morals behind it. So let's go even further back. Did you always think a CEO um, or a role in sports business was going to be something that you were going to go into when you were older? No. <laughs> No, I never see myself as a CEO full stop. I'm not totally sure sometimes I still see myself as that, but um, to be honest, no. I mean, I, I, I loved sport, I always loved sport. Mm. Um, I always was sort of drawn to that sort of that sort of life, you know, because um, um, I grew up in a rural bit of Northern Ireland, so always a sport, and all my family still are involved in sport in some way. Mm. Um, you know, I've got two nephews that are, that are hurlers, um, and, you know, and two that are footballers. Um, so always been sports always been around my family so always wanted to do it but I think going getting older and, and sort of then heading towards university I suppose 
that whole idea of trying to um, work. I, I could never see me in an office nine to five, though that's nearly what I do now all the time. I, I could see, I always wanted to be more in the community and doing stuff around that because I love people. That was always the thing that drove me on, you know, and working when you're working with ex-prisoners was a big learning curve for me, especially working with them and their families as part of the peace process. And then working with victims, which are the other side of that. Sometimes they're both on both sides. Um, was a big challenge for me because all of a sudden you're working with people that historically I wouldn't have come in contact with, you know, mm. being a Catholic, I wouldn't have done, you know. And so you have to, it's a big challenge to yourself about, you know, your own assumptions, your own, you know, well, I assume that you did this because of this. And actually many, many conversations with a lot of ex-prisoners taught me an awful lot um, about mm. why, what their motivations were and, and where they seen themselves in the community. And it's, where, how people see themselves and who they belong to and what, how much people want to belong, whether that's to a team, whether that's to a club, whether it's to a community, whether it's to, you know, an extreme organisation. You know, why do people go into the National Front? You know, you, you're asking that a lot, I ask myself a lot of the time, you know, what made that person join the National Front or the EDL or whatever extremist? Mm -hmm. You know, what what is missing? Is your point, Lena, right? What, what is, what's been missing there? Was it their family? Was it they didn't feel that they belonged? Did they feel, you know, and people want to belong. And that's mm -hmm. why, you know, you know that feeling when you stand on the, on the stands, your team's winning and you don't know even the people beside you is probably one of the strongest feelings you'll ever get. We feel you're looking at someone, they're hugging you, you don't know their name, they just wear the same colour as you. So you're going, yeah, fantastic. <laughs> we want, you know, you never see a person again in your life sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, I think that's, and that's been, I think you, 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 one of the things I think that 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 my probably my mum taught me to be, and I've really I used to see it was a negative thing, and I don't anymore. Is humility, because the more humble you can be, I think the more you learn, the mm. more you realise what you don't know, and the more you recognise what you want to know. And there's a certain there's such a, a strength in humility, and it's, it's not it's not sometimes I see a lot sometimes in football, is people say like, I don't know about that. Can you tell me what that is to feel like? You know, can you tell me what it's like as a young Muslim girl to get your hijab up? Can you try? Because so, I can't understand that because I've not been in that place. Mm. So, humility to me is one of the strongest things. It's one of the things that takes courage. And I think my mum taught me that from the very beginning is to is just is to try to learn as much as you can and try to be really confident enough in yourself to say, look, I don't know that, but I want to learn about it. And that's a different thing. That's that. That's not winging it. That's actually being strong. I think. Yeah, that's definitely not ringing it. And it, you're right. It's the exact opposite. You know, some people will try and ring it uh, and try to to hide away from asking the questions because they don't want people to think that they don't know. But yeah. being humble and taking that humility upon yourself and going, I am going to ask these questions. I am going to learn about the, this thing that I don't know too much about and it's going to make me a better person for it. Yeah. It's a key thing. And yeah. you spoke about your journey again there and it's, in, it's really interesting and I, I learn loads from, from, from doing these interviews and uh, a big thing that comes up is goal setting and, and, and you know, trying to mark out where, where you want to go and I, I do think there's huge benefits to that. But with your journey, I think the key thing is, is passion and, and just mm. love for helping people and because of that passion that's quite clearly inside you you know you've gone up 
boom, 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 higher rolls and higher rolls. And you might not, I don't know, you might not even see it as higher rolls, but because you're so passionate about it, somebody like you is going to get put into them positions because we need people like you to help the people mm-hmm. around us and to help our community. So I think that's a really good thing for people to, to listen into if they're trying to build their own career. Look for something that you're passionate in. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you have to because I, I, I'm not. I'm probably the worst person in the world to talk about goal setting. <laughs> so mm. You're probably much better talking to somebody else who's very strategic in their career development. For me, though, if you think about most of your life, what you spent working. Um, and for me, I've only ever, ever did jobs that I loved. I've mm-hmm. only ever, and getting to work with ex-prisoners, I had no experience working with ex-prisoners at all absolutely none but the more I was in it I did it for seven and a half years the more I did it the more I loved it mm. um and when I came to London you know the thought of working for the Met Police I was like oh, but that but um but I did it and I loved it as well and then working for the Football Foundation I always did jobs that I loved because if you don't have that I I just think if you don't love what you want that's gonna that's, and because even when you love what you want, there are still difficult days. This my job at the moment is the job that I love the most. It's also the toughest job I've ever done. There's a shadow of a doubt. Mm-hmm. It is really hard going because you're trying to change people's minds. You take quite a lot of abuse. You take abuse from from different people for different things nearly every single day. Mm-hmm. And you have to have resilience to get up the next day to go back to do it all over again, to get knocked down, to get back to go over and do it. I don't think if you don't have passion for what you do, I think that resilience would knock you over sooner or later and just go, you know something, it's too hard and I don't love it enough to stick by it. Now, that's difficult because sometimes, but if you love a job, it, you you become innovative and you, you, you give it your all. And I, I just couldn't do a job. <laughs> My husband said to me once, the one job once, it was in between jobs. And he said, why can't you stay there? It's really good and it's, nice cars and it pays well he said cousin's sort of bored <laughs> i'm just yeah. bored with it like and he's all like going yeah i sort of knew it was going to be your answer you i have to do something and the people that i work with the woman are like me they 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 they, they want to change they want to be part of it they believe in what we do there's very hard days doesn't nobody's in it because it's paid well nobody's in it because it's easy. I know he's in it because it's a great kudos in it because they believe in what you what we do. Yeah. And I think that's a some days it's tougher than others, and some days you think, oh God, this is too hard. And then other days you think that what a blessing that you're able to do something that you love and that's somewhere you think even to make small, small changes is a phenomenal thing. Yeah. yeah. I think being around like-minded people is very important as well. You're pushing each other when them hard days do come. And say, whoa, this is this is really difficult. If you are around that bubble of like-minded people who are all pushing for the same goal, then it does lift that burden a bit. Yeah, amazing. You've spoke so so much, gave so much amazing advice um, to people already. If there was one key bit of advice for maybe somebody, I know you've said that you weren't actually looking to go into a CEO role. It was just <laughs> something that came came as part of the parcel of who you are. But what, what would you say to people who, who are trying to have maybe similar aspirations to you, who, who want to help people, who want to get to sort of like the very top level to have a bigger impact on, on what their beliefs are? What would your advice be to them? Well, 
I mean, it's sort of a combination of what we touched on already, which is find something you love, and mm. um, develop your resilience. Because no matter if you're going if you're going to any sort of senior level role, resilience is critical. Yeah. Because it's difficult. It's not. There's no point me saying it's not. It's difficult because you're managing people. You're managing maybe budgets. You're managing um, expectations. So and you will get conflict. You have to learn how to manage conflict. And you have to have that resilience to get up every single day to go. I'm back today to do it again. I'd say humility is massive in there for me. I'd yeah. say, you know, learn, find somebody who's good, get them to mentor you. Always be looking to what you can learn. Read outside your own subject area. Don't stay just to what you you know. If there's something else you're interested, I'm gonna I'm gonna look at that just because I think that's really exciting. And somewhere that may not impact your work now, but it may impact your work later. Mm. And you may say, so always try to read outside your own subject area and find a mentor. That you that you really admire that you can just I pass them to eventually give in to mentor me mm -hmm. and just say you know and also you know and you you have to have and maybe we it comes as right back to and start off with the yoga a sense of um I read a lot about Buddhism stuff and there's a great sense of if you look at the Dalai Lama he has a great sense of humor mm. I think you have to try and have a sense of humor and realize that you know this is your life now and you want to make the very best of it and having a sense of humor and sometimes being able to laugh at the ridiculous things that life throws their way makes it bearable in mm. the dark days when you and you, you everybody has them at some stage in their lives being able to hold on to that i think as a silver thread to bring you back i think is really important so for mm. me i'm very lucky that i sometimes take myself too seriously about things but I have a really good set of friends who absolutely will make sure that I don't. It's uh, so on a family that does the same that goes so. And it's not about that's not about me thinking I'm bigger now. But sometimes I get too caught up in work and mm. works everything. And every so often you need someone to come in and scoop you up and go. That's really important what you're doing. However, it's also important to remember this: the big world outside, your family and friends, that so they can take the mickey out of you. And my friends and family invariably do that on a regular basis. <laughs> is to do that but i think sometimes surrounding yourself by people you trust mm. you trust who have only your best interests at heart so you don't they don't, they don't really care what you do they care about who you are yeah yeah you definitely do need that sometimes you need them people to you know if you do start to go too far in and start to dwell on what's going on you need people to go pick you back up and go it's okay refresh let's go again you definitely need that. So humility, passion, resilience, people. Four tips to, to get to the, the top of the game of impacting people on scale. Amazing stuff. Uh, Roisin, you've been absolutely amazing. I've enjoyed talking to you so much and I've learned loads. I'm massively inspired. Uh, personally, my, my organization called it Focus on trying to develop people for, for the future. The idea is to equip them for, to lead a more successful and enjoyable life. Um, and I've really, really took some key bits of inspiration that I want to implement with, with what I'm doing. Um, is there anything to, to plug just before we finish? Um, maybe kick it out, maybe someone kick it out, Stephen, or, or yourself? Um, I think for me, I think the, I suppose what I'd like to, to say about us is, is that, um, is try to get involved with us if we if you can uh, through our raise your game mentoring program which is a really big mentoring program if you if you want to work in the game of football 
um, it's it's what it's what we do really really well. I think we we did, we did one online. Troy Townsend did one online for us with young coaches last week, and we got Jurgen Klopp, which was wow, and Barry Southgate, which is also brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want, if you, if you're interested in working in the game, or you want to look at how you get into the game as business as a job, you know, please give us a shout through Rage Your Game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, because we always are looking for people, young people especially who want to work in football, um, who've got a passion for it. And then also, um, again, just if you're at a game, and I know it may, be, it may be to next year that we're actually in stadium again, but if you see any sort of type of discrimination, please try to report it, mm. whether that's online or, or, or in a, you know, and you know, download our free our free app. That's if you don't. I mean, I understand how difficult it can be to sometimes say. It was them over there, but it, we have a free downloadable app. Please download it and use it to report anything you see. Because the more we can report it, the more we can hopefully do something about it. So mm. those are the two, and, and keep just keep an eye out for us because we're doing some events online. Hopefully coming up called the Kick It Out Generation, which is about young people and talking about the issues that are important to them around diversity and equality. You know, and it's online. You know, please come online and join us. So just it's just mm. really. You know, contact us if you want to get involved with us or just give us a shout, whatever. Mm, brilliant. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time out in your busy schedule to, to come on the show and, and, and give so much value to, to everybody who's, who's going to listen to this. Um, yeah, so thank you very much and I've enjoyed it. No problem. It. Thanks, Liam. No Take problem. Take care. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember, make sure you check out at Equip Group or at Liam Kiss on social media. If you'd like to watch this interview, then head over to our YouTube channel at Equip Group. And remember, if you like our vibe, click subscribe. See you next time for more Biz with Kiss.